0: Midnight Chats.
1: Hi, I'm Nick.
0: I'm Rory,
2: and I'm Jay.
1: And this is Midnight Chats, an octavigent companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers to have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. On this episode, we are joined by author, Druid, YouTube host, and former head of the Order of Bards, Ovates and Druids, philip cargo yeah yeah this was a this was a lot of fun and
0: very in in insightful
1: it it is also in the rare uh category of interviews we've done where i have a much deeper appreciation for and like the book it's connected to a lot more
0: yeah no same
1: i i have a lot i have a lot deeper appreciation of what he was doing in a druid's way especially really once i understood how i was supposed to read it yeah that changed everything about the experience i had reading it
0: absolutely
2: plus he listened to our podcast before he came on the interview which like that's obviously not a requirement but it's really it's really nice whenever we interview someone and they're like yeah i've been listening to the show it's neat it's like buddy you didn't have to do that (laughs) thank you
0: uh but
1: you know i i thought it was a great time i think uh you listeners at home will think so too uh so you just want to let them listen to it yeah let's do it let's go bye And we are on the line with Philip Cargone. Philip, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. A pleasure. It's great to be with you. All right. Now, getting into our first question here, it's a pretty simple question we like to ask all of our guests as we are a book club, uh, which is, what are you reading and what sort of books do you tend to gravitate towards? Ah uh
3: the problem with with writing books is I never have enough time to read I <laughs> always want to yeah. do more reading i tell you what I what what's uh in uh, uh on on the on the table downstairs is a two-volume edition of the matter with things by Ian McGilchrist okay yeah uh, um which is uh looks fantastic and I can't wait to dive into it
1: we are, uh, we have, we've yet to actually read the text itself, but we've read so many other authors who make heavy use of Christ's ideas from The Master and the Emissary mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I feel like I now know that book better than any other book I have not read. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um. So do you tend to gravitate towards that sort of, uh, I guess, esoteric philosophical text? Do you stray into fiction at all, or do you pretty much stick around that? I, y- yes, I
3: do. I do. I I I sometimes wish I I read more fiction, but I just tend to to focus on nonfiction of that kind.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, we are in a very similar boat. We uh, always have our nose in one, on a book like that. Yeah. All right. Well, moving into the actual questions about uh, your work, hmm. coming back to sort of your beginnings here, starting out, how did you find your way to Druidry? And what was it about that particular practice that appealed to you more than other nature-based religions?
3: Well, I, I, uh, because I met my Druid teacher when I was first 11, oh, yeah, uh, you, you know, and then, and then, uh, he was a friend of the family and then I kind of started actively engaging with him when I was 16. Uh, that was just what happened. It wasn't like, uh, it was, a um, uh, a very conscious choice. That was what was before me as it were. Mm-hmm. And I, that path. Yeah.
1: Now, I mean, as you've gone out into the world, I suppose, uh, if you had to sum it up for those who are not too familiar with the practice, I guess, what is the key difference between a Druidic worldview and those represented by, you know, again, the other nature-based religions thinking, uh, for example, like Wicca?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting that that, uh, Druidry and Wicca were really kind of introduced into the world or reintroduced, depending upon what your view of history is by yeah. by two yeah. characters at the same time gerald gardner and uh and 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 ross nichols and um i know you're familiar with that i've just been listening to your i thought i would better check you guys out and so uh, <laughs> who are these people who want to talk to me yeah. so i i am um, so i i've just finished listening to you right now the previous podcast where you talk about the book so oh, so nice. i i know that you and i don't know to what degree your listeners are kind of regulars in which case this conversation kind of follows on from the last podcast or to what, I guess, I guess some are and some aren't. So, so, so I mean,
0: you're, you're hitting the nail on the head for the exact idea. We like the, these two kind of follow along with the book. So.
3: Yeah. Great. Great. That's lovely. So, so, you know, you, you were talking about uh, Gerald Gardner there. Uh, So they were both people, they both knew each other. And in fact, Ross Nichols, um, wrote, um, was what was Gerald Gardner's first, not not his first book, but the one that when they repealed the Witchcraft Act and he was able to write about Wicca, um, Witchcraft Today, I think that was the book, wasn't it? Um, And yeah, and he actually, uh, Ross Nichols kind of uh, ghost wrote that because Gerald Gardner was apparently homeschooled or unschooled. And, uh, you know, Ross Nichols had a kind of MA from uh, uh, Oxford. Um, or Cambridge, I you know, can't remember. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so there, there are lots of similarities, lots of differences. And so I, I came first to Druidry and then I started to learn about Wicca probably, uh, probably in my early twenties,
1: something like that. Well, moving into the Druid way, uh, so that the second edition of that came out about 17 years ago. Uh, with hmm. that in mind, we wanted to ask because I noted in the preface you you uh, noted all the ways that your understanding of the Druidic faith and the contents of the book had updated since the first edition. Now hmm. we wanted to ask: in the last seventeen years, how has your view of the journey you took changed or evolved?
3: Yeah, sure. I think. Well, I think probably you 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 you, you, you remember the way when you were t- the 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 um, the section in the book where I'm talking a lot about the goddess and the god. Yes. Mm-hmm that kind of encounter. And, and, and that was the, that was, um, that that's probably the biggest area where I've changed how I feel about things. I would say, um, I wrote, uh, about in 2015. So what that's, that's whenever, um, about nine years after I did the second edition of the Druid way. Um, I, I wrote a, uh, an essay called um, "Spiritual Sexism: Time to Drop the Gender Metaphor?" question <sighs> mark And it was all around that. So that's that's probably the area that I would I would uh, I, I probably you know my my views have changed the most. One of you one of you was saying I remember how well you know of course he's changed you know like the, you know none of us to stay the same and he's yeah. bound to have changed his ideas and so on. Uh, so yeah, so that that that's you know that's the area uh i think otherwise i've had it was i've heard very let me tell you about this i've had a very strange experience with this book because recently i've become friends with a guy who does really who who i really like his voice and he's created an audiobook version of it i thought maybe let's make an audiobook out of this and I, i and he's done it and and i was um sitting on the eurostar to amsterdam last month listening to this book that i'd written you know whenever yeah so many years ago hearing somebody else's voice reading it and uh, it sounded like a, i you know it was a very interesting experience to do because of course a lot of it i didn't recognize some of it was very
1: familiar some of it kind of was surprising to me that was an interesting experience obviously so you ha- you did listen to our episode on the book uh so you're you're going to know a couple of these questions that we're going to be asking one of the big things we asked when we were reading the book was how much of the narrative were meant to, was meant to be read allegorically or metaphorically, and how much was supposed to represent authentic visionary experiences. So, we want to ask how we're meant to read the more fantastic events in the book, such as visitations from the earth goddess or visions from the past. Were those more extended metaphors to you, or was that closer to an actual lived experience you had? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. They, they were, they, it was all extended
3: metaphor. Uh, some of it was tongue in cheek, like you know, that do you remember when when I meet the devil and his tail flops? Yeah. And and uh uh I I um the 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 way this book came about, maybe that helps to understand it a bit. I I the first book I wrote was The Elements of the Druid Tradition, uh, that that I wrote in about three weeks. I wrote it in a kind of frenzy of kind of, you know, just it just came poured out. And uh, it sold quite well. So the publisher asked me to do Another book with them, and they visualised it as a kind. And they 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 came up with this title, the Druid Way, and they wanted it to be the elements of the Druid tradition in more depth. And I just couldn't get any sort of kind of energy for it. It had no energy for me, like doing a manual about druidry in more depth. And and then that experience happened where the friend died. A friend, this old mentor, died uh, uh, just before the solstice, and I went up onto the hill. And uh I had that experience and I I received the inspiration to go on a walk. It was like go on a walk, take a journey across the land. And I then I then did the walk in two sections. I did I walked to the long man. It was in February, and then I spent the next few months uh in the Sussex Archaeological Society Library, which is in our town, and writing the sort of the story, and these Ideas, these sort of fanciful I suppose ideas of you know meeting goddesses and all that it, just came to me, so they were they were written they were designed to be playful, colorful, evocative, and to be used as kind of vehicles for conveying ideas i didn't think i i I thought when the book was published, I thought everybody would understand that <laughs> but, but but I got a bit of a shock when some guy very seriously said to me asked me about my experience with the devil. And 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 I realized to my horror that some people were taking me literally. Um, so, so I, you know, maybe there should be, I should say something about this at the beginning of the book or something.
0: You know, what's funny is like, I was thinking about that, like as we were reading the book, I was like, most of, because I'm the one that's been studying through the Order of the Bards of Eights and Druids. Oh. Okay, great. And so it's like, there's so much about like the metaphors and everything that was used. that's very similar, like in, in the way that the story is told through like the lesson through the, the guairs in, uh, Mm. in Obad. And so I assumed, right. That that was likely how it was being portrayed. However, like from our perspective, we read books from all over the map. So it's like, ultimately it's like, you know, we had to sit there and go sit back and go, are these metaphors, or was, were these real visions? Because we've e- in experienced both in in our readings, you know.
1: I mean, I since a young age, my brain has been soaked in UFOs, so I no <laughs> longer have any conception of what's real. And uh, and then for
2: my part, I my undergraduate degree is in the academic study of religion, and the program that I was educated in, uh, in attempt in an attempt to teach us cultural sensitivity, frequently encourages us to interpret religious experiences that are described to us as being completely literal and as a historical testament because they're like we don't want you going out into this field with this very materialistic american kind of dismissive viewpoint so unless you're directly told otherwise interpret it as literal and it's like okay prof <laughs> yeah.
3: okay okay yes yes maybe i should put a an explanatory uh Sentence or two at the beginning, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely <laughs> not to be taken literally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Now I I do have to ask because I um, mean obviously I mean as you might have heard over the episode we did dig into I guess what those images we thought represented and there's yeah. one I just have to ask because I it has lived rent free in my brain since we read the book because I still can't figure out what it was to represent the giant <laughs> throwing the hammer that became an axe. What was what was that to you? Ah, oh, okay. Well, that that um that comes out of
3: folklore uh so as as you as you noticed, there were there, there's, there's there's a whole bunch of history mm-hmm. from my reading of, of of local history and then there's a bunch of folklore mm-hmm. and then into the mix i put you know these these um uh, stories and and uh, ideas of my own uh and the as far as i can remember the story of the, uh, that comes out of folklore. I, 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 I can't actually remember. That was towards the end of the book, wasn't yeah. it? When I'm yes. With- why? Why has it proved so uh, strong an image? For you?
1: I, I honestly, it's just because I. I mean, I. I mean, to be completely honest, I was just fascinated by the idea of walking around the hillside and having a giant throw a giant hammer at you. That that was a very evocative image, and it lodged in my brain. And I was sitting there trying to figure out what the transformation from the hammer to the axe could represent. I, right. and I. I was going all over the map in ways that I'm very sure were not intended. <laughs> Uh Yeah, probably, well, yeah, you know, I suppose,
3: you know, what's, nice with literature is the way you know, and writing is the way one can it can be evocative uh and, and and trigger different things for different people i mean in that landscape you know you were talking as well about how you know because it wasn't a familiar landscape with you it was perhaps a bit hard to kind of get into the frame of it and and so this this image of giants throwing stuff at each other it's it's in the landscape there so you're walking along and you've got this big hill on one side and the the story there from from folklore and legend is that there was a dragon on that hill and and he threw stuff at the, uh, uh, not a dragon, a, a giant on that hill who threw stuff at the giant on the other hill. Okay. And you know, those, those, those come from folklore. And, and, um, so the idea of these big beings throwing stuff around is, uh, is in the land as it were is in the culture there.
1: Okay. Oh, that, that makes a lot of sense. Kind of building upon that. One of the topics we've found ourselves discussing at length over many episodes is the differences regarding the nature of truth between, say, the subjective, personal, religious truth and the truth of the outside objective world. I guess within Druid, you within your own practices, how do you negotiate that? Like the sense of something that seems personally true to you on a spiritual level versus what is actually happening out here in our flesh and blood world?
3: Yeah, well, I suppose the whole issue of, you know, what is real and what is not real, what is imagined, what is not imagined, uh, two powerful well i suppose three powerful experiences for me that has formed my approach i mean one one is the taking of psychedelics when when uh, when i was young and this profound uh experience or profound experiences of seeing that reality isn't at all what it used to seem to be Mm -hmm. prior to the event as it were um and and then and then studying psychology and you know when you study say the psychology of perception that becomes so interesting because you realize that you know your perceptions are not perfect representations of what's actually out there by any means and then the third uh, level of experience is one of i suppose that level of self-inquiry of, of mystical experiences experiences of other states of consciousness where you where you come to realize that what is real and what may not be real it's much you know more nuanced and subtle than one might think I, you know so i think that's where i'm coming from with this
1: okay i mean, now now i i am curious you mentioned there's some history with psychedelic use one of the things that we have studied through our show is uh, the phenomenon of entity encounters, specifically regarding DMT, but it's happened with other psychedelics. To you, I guess, are psychedelics revealing some other layer of reality we can't normally see, giving you a view of another reality? I guess if you had to speculate, what do you think is happening there?
3: Well, I think the most interesting one, and those, you, you might know the, the, the professor of religious studies, you know, Chris, Christopher Bach. Yes, I am I, aware of him. Yeah, yeah, very interesting guy, and 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 he's 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 written a book called LSD and the Mind of the Universe, um, where he attempts to use well to use psychedelics to really probe the nature of reality. So, so I think there are all sorts of things happening, of course, with psychedelics. So at one level, the, the, there's a there are insights into people's individual unconscious, personal unconscious. I think, I think people have experiences that are more collective, if you like, of collective uh, conscious, consciousness or conscious, um, the collective unconscious. And then the, the, the image, which I really like of Chris Batch's is is this one of essentially the, the idealist point of view, which is everything is consciousness and matter is just a substrate, if you like, or precipitation within consciousness. But the primary reality is consciousness. And and it is living and alive, and there are different kind of zones, if you like, or planes. Um, the Kabbalah presents it very well, doesn't it? With you know the, con- and and you know, um, and th- those seem to me to be perhaps the, the the most helpful articulations of what might be
1: going on uh, in terms of consciousness. Okay, I mean that that's interesting, especially the relation to the Kabbalah with the various spheres of reality. Uh, Mm. makes it feel like we're living in an onion yeah 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 exactly
3: and when chris Barch, you know in the in this book he talks about he basically undertook a a project over 20 years of taking 73 high-dose lsd trips and 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 sort of you know voyaging into into the universe or or so he believed and of, of meaning and consciousness and there are some wonderful sections where he's talking about these sense of sort of nested Levels of consciousness, which are so familiar to those of us who study the Kabbalah or, you know, Buddhist concepts of uh, consciousness
1: and so on. Oh, very, very neat. OK, moving into our next question. A small difficulty we faced when discussing your book, as you heard, was that as Americans, we've never had the opportunity to see those trackways that you were walking. So it mm-hmm. was a little tough to feel like we knew where our place was in the story at the time. Now, yeah. with that in mind, we wanted to ask about how the, uh, I guess, is the druidic path intimately woven within that specific landscape you walked? Uh, for example, could an American druid form a similar relationship with their own local environment? Or is that sort of shared cultural history uh, in that landscape, uh, I guess, an innate part of it?
3: Well, certainly, I mean, it, it it seems that druidry speaks to people all over the world in all sorts of different landscapes. So, so, So it's certainly... I don't think the idea that one needs a particular landscape is, is, is uh, t- true. The reality is that Britain and Ireland have, have well, particularly particularly the mainland of Britain, has this incredible network of footpaths that you don't really find, or as, as far as I'm aware, you don't find in other countries. And in the States you don't have it, uh, and in mainland Europe you don't have it, and in Ireland you don't have it. there's this vast there's this vast network of footpaths that is that you're able to walk across the land and that enables one to have a kind of intimate relationship that perhaps is harder in other countries
1: i could see that uh Mm -hmm. it's i don't know like i was thinking specifically regarding how amazing it is to us here where uh, most of our history has been bulldozed to put in a kmart uh Mm. it's Amazing to me, the idea that you could walk those ancient pathways and sort of experience that connection to the past. Uh, and for example, I, on my honeymoon, got to go to Greece and I got to walk through Delos, this ancient ruined uh, city. And it was the first time in my life, at least, that I've gotten to really kind of walk where people thousands of years were walking on the same cobblestones, walk through the same doorways. And I, mm. I guess I was just trying to think, how what is more important in Druidry? Is it the connection to the land itself or is it the connection to i suppose the other humans who have already walked that land and kind of building upon what their relationship with it was oh gosh i mean i don't know i I, (laughs) I suppose you know i suppose both would be
3: would be important um you know one of the things i love about Druidry is its um plasticity might be the word it's its ability to inspire an interest People in all sorts of different ways. So you'll be somebody will be coming to it, and and the 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 relationship with the land aspect of it will really turn them on, and then somebody else, the you know various you know historical aspects will turn them on, and so on and so on, and and the more one can
1: avoid dogma, mm. the, the better I think. I think you you won't hear any disagreements here from us. No, no, right. Actually, that leads pretty nicely into our next question here. So from what we understand most of the ancient druidic practices were passed down via oral traditions and as such a lot of i guess the original druidic beliefs are are lost or got you know passed through the game of telephone over the centuries so when you were building out both your personal practice and what you contributed to the Obod program how did you work to bridge those gaps uh, did you pull from other traditions anything like that Yeah okay well the image that comes to mind is is my uh, wife,
3: Stephanie, making a pizza. Huh. It's like she, 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 she's this great cook. She, she used to be Peter Gabriel's cook. Oh, wow. And she, when she makes a pizza, she kind of throws the stuff up in the air, and uh, you just see flying hands, and stuff gets thrown on. She doesn't measure anything. It just gets thrown in the oven, and then it's fabulous. So the Obod course... I did not approach it rationally. I mm. did not think, you know, what, what, what are the, you know, the classic way that you create a course, what are the, teach, what are the teaching aims and objectives and all that, you know, pedagogy. Then, yeah. I'm really happy to say there was lots and lots of Arwen in there. And as as the course was being sent out, I was still putting it together. I was just a few months ahead of everybody which meant that people's, this was in the days before email, so it was letters, the letters that were coming in from students around the world would serendipitously and synchronistically kind of arrive. So I would say, start work on one guess. I'd sit down at the desk and I'd open a letter and there would be this amazing poem that would Mm -hmm. be just completely on track with the topic that I was writing about. And so I'd drop it in. And so on. So it was, it was created in that way.
0: Like almost divinely created.
3: It will, Well, it had... Um, the, the, when I finished the last course of the Druid grade, you know, the three grades, mm-hmm. two things happened. I, I was literally sitting at my computer typing it, and I was thinking, maybe we should give people some kind of certificate. It would be nice if people had some kind of certificate. What, what should it say? I don't know. What do we say on this certificate? You know, at which point the telephone rang and I picked it up, and it was uh, our friend uh, Dave the Bard, who is now a great mm-hmm. pagan Christian and uh, the pendragon of the order, and he said, Philip, I've just come across this old certificate of the ancient druid order in an antique shop around the corner. So I got it and and like would you would you like to see it? Would you like me to give it to you? You know, like that. And I, I could feel myself starting to cry because it was like Huh, this certificate is right, and it—it's just a sort of standard, right? You know, old old way of saying we hereby certify you that you've done. You know, um, so it wasn't But it was the the beautiful timing of it yeah. that just struck me. And then, and so I have then finished writing the the guess, and then I thought, hang on a minute, it's February, it's around February the whatever it was, fourteenth or something like that, and I rushed over to my filing cabinet and I opened, I got my passport out. And I looked at my passport to see to look for the Bulgarian immigration stamp on it because I knew I had put I had started putting together the course in a little wooden hut in the snow in the mountains in Bulgaria. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, wow. And I'd flown. And so I had an immigration stamp on it and it was the same day I had, you know, like the day it was like seven years to the day. Wow. February, the, you know, whatever, 14th, seven
1: years previously. So again, little, little things like this. Okay. Just out of curiosity, did those sorts of synchronicities continue to occur uh, during your time in Obad or after? Or was that sort of a singular period within your life?
3: No, no, they, they, they continued to occur. They were kind of quite intense. Probably in the, I, I haven't really thought about this, but it may well be that they were more intense in those first, seven years i think okay if i had to, yeah, I, i'm not entirely sure i'd have to think about it but if i had to make a guess i would say probably the first seven years there were these you know synchronicities going on now
1: yeah. a question i always like to ask about synchronicities because i mean as we've gotten into doing this show we've started experiencing them more and more and more uh, as we go uh, so much so that we sometimes joke that the show is producing itself because the next book we <laughs> randomly chose to do happens to line up dr- directly with everything else we've been doing. Great. And so the the question I'd have is, I, I guess, regarding synchronicity, do you see those as something that is always happening and just by learning of them you start to become more aware of it? Or is that something that you see as more like a communication from the universe or various deities, something like that? Do you know, I I really don't know because... What I what I quite like about
3: being interested in psychology and spirituality is it being able to flip hats and be kind of hard nosed and 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 rational, even scientific, perhaps about certain things. And so, on on the one hand, I mean, like take the synchronicity of the, the fact that you're asking me about the Druid Way, and you did your last episode on the Druid Way. I, uh, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, a, a publisher invited me for breakfast in town and asked me to write a book called. Uh, and he had the title for it as "The Long Man and Friends: A Guide to Magical Sussex." So I have just started about three days ago working on this book, taking you know, so I was at the long Man yesterday taking you know, taking a walk. so basically i've I've identified about fifteen walks. and over the next few weeks i'm I'm walking out on the land, uh, making notes, taking photographs, uh, and creating. Creating a set of magical walks in the landscape so so here's and here you are talking about a book that I wrote um whatever it was fifteen years ago or something, and that I hadn't thought about for a long time, and at the same time, this friend you know uh had offered to do audio books, and I'd suggested he so it's all coming together. now that may be chance, maybe random, I don't know and and it's just I, I'm sure you feel this way too, that when you experience a lot of synchronicities. You end up sort of saying something like, oh, "I don't care if it's random or not. It's just I just love it. It's, mm-hmm. There's something so kind of exciting about it, and you know, particularly in the in the strange, the you know, the particularly powerful synchronistic uh events in one's life, they're just such fun. You know, oh, I'm yeah. I, God, yeah.
1: I really don't have an answer. I don't know, you know, about. I perfectly understand that. Uh, I I, I tried to keep a a journal of them to sort of, you know, try to go scientifically about it. And after a little bit, I I was just like, I, I, you, once you start to try to over intellectualize it, you start getting into the weeds of like, was that a synchronicity? Am I reading too much into everything? Am I driving myself insane? So maybe that is the right approach just to sort of let go, have fun with it, see what happens. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I mean, that's the solution for a lot of things in life is to just be like, well, this is happening.
1: Oh, that yeah. explains all my troubles. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This is interesting, mm, you know, and with a, with a kind of open mind, you know. Yeah. All right. Well, actually, speaking of uh, interesting and open minded, we, we have a couple of stranger questions here. Ooh. So as you imagine, we spend a great amount of time on our show discussing other paranormal phenomena, things like UFOs, cryptids, ghosts and all the spooky stuff. And so in your book, you do make mention of the possible existence of non-human intelligences, though it's obviously not a focus of yours. So with that in mind, where do you fall on these other expressions of, of the paranormal? Do you think that they somehow fit into the druidic model of the universe or are they, I guess, something completely outside of it?
3: No, well, I I think they do. Again, you know, avoiding dogma. There's the sort of joke in the druid community. If you ask twelve druids for you know the, their beliefs or opinions, you'll get thirteen answers. You, <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah. And, you know, So this is just my you know my take on it. I mean, I I I've had experiences, not many, but enough experiences of beings of people who have died and then who have kind of given me messages. Uh, or or who I've been aware of to convince me of, of of the reality of ex-carnate identity or whatever you want to call it okay mm. yeah yeah and and I would imagine a lot of people in the druid community probably
1: believe in 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 these things yeah okay now I mean on that note in the book one topic that we found really interesting was the this whole idea of gateways and the guardians of the gateway you kind of have to ask permission from in order to engage on your journey and how those gateways, I mean, sort of are areas of liminality. And one thing mm. that often comes up in the other paranormal books we read is that paranormal phenomenon tends to be attracted to liminal in-between places. Uh, you mm. know, gateways, t- abandoned towns, places that are in transition from becoming one thing to another. And yeah. so we kind of wanted to see if you, uh, obviously speculating, could see there being some sort of connection there. And then the question would be, when you're asking permission from those guardians, would you be more inclined to say, "Well, I'm asking permission from the same entities that tend to manifest around this," or could it be that those are entities maybe using that gateway as well? I know we're getting super esoteric, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose in terms
3: of the the, the 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 permissions, I I favor. I mean, just my personal um, way of approaching it is much more general, and I just ask spirit if you like i just ask I, I, I tend not to be kind of polytheistic or 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 to take you know and 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 i'm usually insensitive to beings and energies and all the rest of it. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm. So if I sense something, a gateway, where it feels like a gateway, I will, I will just ask, you know, it, may I step through? Is it okay? Or you know, and so on. And you know, I had that particularly strong experience of when I was in the in the in the uh, churchyard in Wilmington. There was a gateway of use, and you know, I made the point about coming out of that kind of 60s, 70s culture of you know, flower power and all the rest of it, that where the sort of uh, may what a guiding idea was why not. Hey, should we do this? Yes, why not? Uh, let's you know, uh, and and that gets you that can get you into a lot of scrapes, and it can be very uh, interesting too. But I I had this strong sense: do not walk through that gateway. Don't go through that gateway. And I respected that. So uh, the whole question of liminality, I think, is fascinating. And and you know, if you're f- familiar with you know Celtic uh, myth and story, you'll know how important. It is in in um, Celtic spirituality. It's important in Druidry that times of liminality, dusk and dawn, and you, you know um, the Midsummer's Eve and all these different times. Samhain, and and you know, in a particular interest of mine is sleep, and I, I just finished a book on insomnia and uh, the relationship between wakefulness and sleep. Sleep is is a is a territory that fascinates me. Um, so I'm very interested in liminality, and it's, it's an incredibly fertile place, I think.
1: Well, it often makes me wonder, I guess, what is it about a liminal place that provokes these sorts of experiences? Is it some innate metaphysical quality of that location, or is it being in a liminal place puts us into, I guess, a less steady frame of mind where we're more open to perhaps perceiving things the brain usually filters out or things like that?
3: yeah uh, 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 absolutely and 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 i think probably a lot of things are going on i mean there's a there's an there's a there's a an you know an aesthetic component in liminality you know there's the way the light uh works so you're not quite sure what you're seeing or the light is changing so there's there's the quality of light uh There's probably something going on in terms of the electromagnetic field. You know, the way the electromagnetic field of the Earth varies enormously. Uh, You know, having spent quite a lot of time in New Zealand, I was very aware of that. And then there will be whatever historical events have occurred in this place that may have left their kind of imprint on the sort of etheric level or subtle level. So there's a whole, and, and then there'll be the degree to which you're able to to open yourself your consciousness and your your heart and mind as well to the degree to that you can tolerate ambiguity and liminality and so on all these factors will come together at particular times yeah
0: Yeah, and you mentioned sleep and i've always found it so fascinating that like the time in which i've experienced the most vivid like vision or something was in that state between like being awake yeah. and asleep. You know yeah. that that moment between like you know uh, that moment between that and we've talked about this a lot on, on on our show too is just like there seems to be something about that state as well that seems to like draw into uh I don't know the the other the other side uh whatever it is. It's
1: almost like it's a a gateway that exists within our psyche. Right. Yeah, ex- exactly.
3: That's why dur- during the pandemic I I I I did a series of. I, I trained in yoga nidra. You know, yoga nidra is, is 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 a wonderful method of meditation that allows you to kind of surf that liminal area between sleep and wake. And so I, I, I started an online thing, which is free, called the Garden of Flowing in Perpetual Happiness, and it's just twelve yoga nidras, quite strongly influenced by druidry and natural imagery and all the rest of it, and just popped it up online. people as a kind of home retreat i the sort of the idea was um you've probably spent some time thinking about how you know you you should go on a spiritual retreat but you've never quite got around to it so the garden of flowing in perpetual happiness it's a it's a home retreat to explore that liminal space actually it's a very healing space i think the interesting thing is, is 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 you know rory you were saying how how you know you you found you had your experiences in, 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 in this sort of liminal state, Mm -hmm. it can be a very healing place, very integrating place. I mean, you know, intriguing, sometimes frightening or worrying perhaps, but also healing, I think. So I felt that during the pandemic, it was probably a nice place for people to go. And the circumstances people had the time because they were locked down basically.
0: Yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out because I've been trying so many different meditative techniques to try and get me back to that, get me into that space on a more regular, like an, an ability to get there on a more regular basis, even if it's just like once every great, in a great while, because God, that's the old, like I said, that's the only time I've ever like experienced anything like that that wasn't drug induced. <laughs> <All right. laughs> so I, cool, cool. I, I'm definitely going to check that out because especially if it's got, you know, Druid, uh, Druidic influence to it, it's going to be yeah. even more my speed. So.
3: Uh, absolutely yeah yeah do have a look at that you can find it through my website yeah
1: now i i do want to ask as you, you talk there about uh you know the uh, looking into the yoga nidra in your book you mentioned that we're starting moving into this uh phase where we need to start moving past these individual uh i guess religion based identi- identities such as druidry or buddhist and towards some sort of perennial philosophy i guess i wanted to ask I, are you still on that trajectory and I guess what led you to that conclusion that we're starting to move towards some sort of shared destination?
3: Well, right from the beginning uh, of 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 my following druidry, you know, back when I was 16, I kind of rebelled against the label, using a label to describe my spirituality. Because I was interested in in Buddhism. I read it the same, the, the same year that I met the old chief druid. When I was eleven, I met the old chief druid, and I read a book on the life of the Buddha. So Buddhism and druidry were 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 two kind of really strong inspirations for me. And my dad knew this chap called Christmas Humphreys, who founded the Buddhist Society in London, and wrote books on Buddhism. And so, so, so I was, you know, I was so interested in all these things. And all the time, I was chief of the order. I would periodically try to work out a way of avoiding the label chief because i have a problem around that as well and uh the 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 term order and the term (laughs) because because they all don't really say that 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 for me they're too limiting
0: Mm.
3: but in the end in the end you know we have we've only got words to work with and, 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 and they were the best that, 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 um, you know, I could use. And, and so they were the ones I worked with, but I do believe that we, um, y- y- you know, we can go beyond these labels. I think, you know, many of us, you know, the, the label spirit, that's another label spiritual, but not religious SBNR, which I believe in the States is, is bigger now or catching up with the Christian category. Is that, is that, is that right?
2: Yep.
1: Uh, there is a, uh, yeah, there is a yeah, there is dwindling number of people who are actually members of established religions, but a lot of people still who don't identify as atheists, so they're in that that new middle ground, a mm-hmm. new middle ground, the SBNR ground. That's a really interesting ground, and the the upside of it
3: is 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 there's a, it's it's like open source programming. You know, say you, I'm open to you know, Sufism and Druidism and Buddhism, and you know, they're all they're all they're all of value and all the rest of it the downside is that sometimes we can feel too scattered it's like well what am i doing i'm 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 being inspired by this one day inspired by that the other day so it's like there will be times in our life when we feel we need a path we need a direction we need some form of containment and then then it's down to what kind of container would you like you yeah. know and druidry has for me it has these sort of it seems to speak to three parts of 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 myself certainly which i think probably a lot of people have is the part inside of me that that wants to sing my song that wants to express myself fully okay. which which the, the bard if you like the artistic mm-hmm. so i want the freedom of creative expression and so the concept of the, the whole bardic tradition which is around encouraging that speaks to that side of me and then there's another side of me that that is if you like the the kind of magician or shaman the one the one who wants to be out in nature and lighting little fires and cooking up brews and Mm -hmm. you know learning the power of plants and looking up at the stars and all the rest of it The 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 wizard and the shaman and exploring the kind of explorer exploring other levels of consciousness and all the rest of it And, and but then you know then there's another part of me that wants that wants wisdom that wants which is like the sage if you like you know i would I would like to find, I'd like to be wise. I'd like to be of help to other people and so on. And that's the druid, you know, mm-hmm. the, the the philosopher, the sage, if you like. So this idea of the sort of the singer,
1: the shaman and the sage, it speaks to to the to, to three parts of me. It's fascinating just because I know you have a background in psychology and I couldn't help but think there that it's almost as if each religion or container, as you said, I guess provides uh provides you with different Jungian archetypes to inhabit depending on what you are looking for at that given time. Mm, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah,
0: I like that the three, like the the what you said, like the three part that it's you know it speaks to the three parts of you, and then those three parts were then expressed through Obad in the bardic grade, the ovate grade, and the druidic grade, and the druid grade.
3: Yeah. Yeah, eg- exactly. Because you know, I don't know whether you feel, Rory, like like when 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 you you're you're feeling turned on by the concept of enlightenment and 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 wisdom, if you like finding illumination and clarity and understanding and wisdom. That's that. I, I guess for many of us, feels like a real thirst and a, mm-hmm. a and a goal. Hey. But there's also a part that wants that doesn't want clarity. Mm. That wants you know, like color wants to throw paint around on a on a canvas or sing a song or you know wants uh the kind of richness of life without necessarily uh having just you know pure white light
0: yeah no absolutely you know, and that's
3: the bard you know the the you know and then there's the part you know, the wants to to heal and you know the ovate the 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 one's to be uh part of nature and to be involved in healing and divination and you know
0: yeah It's funny, is like initially when I when I first signed up for Obad, I was mostly interested in the Ovate and the Druid stuff. I wasn't as interested in the Bard stuff, but that you know being the first grade, and now I'm about eighty five percent of the way through the Bardic grade, and I'm just and I'm so glad that I had to go, you know, that I have to go through this because it got me writing again. Like I hadn't written a poem in years, and I used to perform spoken word poetry and do all this other stuff, and now I've written multiple different poems. I've written triads of, uh, on my own and done all these other little things that have helped me express like that side of me. And like, and it, it's really helped me feel and understand what, like what Owen is and, and all of that, you know, and that's Bobby. so, so props to you for the course. Cause I've really, really enjoyed myself like going through them, even though it's taken me a long time. But,
3: oh, great. That's lovely. Have you, have you done the written version or the online version? I have
0: the online version.
3: Online version. Okay. Yeah. Great.
1: Great.
0: Yeah. So I've seen a lot of videos that you were in. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. All right. Well, moving into our uh, last couple of questions here, venturing into more recent developments, one thing that we couldn't help but think about regarding your overall message about the need to listen to the earth uh, is that it's becoming increasingly relevant the deeper we venture into the current climate crisis. So I, I wanted to talk about uh, climate change a bit here, and I suppose what impact you see it having on druidic and other nature-based practices, and then speculating out uh, what the metaphysical consequences of our current situation might be. Hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, it's really central,
3: and you know, coming back to the the the, the druid way in the book and the the kind of provocative uh, section that, that 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 you dealt with, you know, where the goddess appears and she has, do you remember she has a forest in one hand. And the city in the other, and all that. and that's like I, I, um, that's an image that comes out the out of the prophecies of Merlin, an ancient uh, text, which seemed so powerful. And I think, you know, I think you had some very legitimate uh, critique around that, around the this um, the suggestion, which wasn't, you know, I'm not sure it was entirely what I was saying. Around you know the answer is a return to matriarchy. I wasn't actually saying that. Uh, what i was what I was what I was pointing, what I was saying, if you remember, the goddess says to me something like, you know what why did you betray your childhood? Why did you make the bombs and parade the you know which mm-hmm. to me is is a really powerful image when i When I watch the news and I see you know what's happening in Ukraine, and I see these you know parades of uh, weapons in Moscow, and you know all all, all the horrible devastation um it's this question that ian McGilchrist really starts the matter of things with where he says you know what's gone wrong that we're behaving in this way why are we destroying the earth why are we behaving so appallingly um he casts it in in terms of the you know left and right hemispheres Mm -hmm. you know the master and the hemisphere all that sort of stuff and um so he's you, you know whether we're talking about yin and yang, left and right hemispheres, male and female. I accept that it's hugely problematic when we start to bring gender into this. And so when I was, you know, if I was writing it again, I would kind of uh, change the way I talked about it, perhaps. But that's what I was getting at. I was getting at uh, precisely this. Quite, you and you were asking about climate change, and and you know, and and let's let's throw war into it as well, you know. You know, what on earth has happened that we're screwing things up so monumentally, you know, and you see what I what I think the real journey we need to take is towards our humanity rather than what what got me to write this article that is on my website under um spiritual sexism time to drop the gender metaphor was I was in a am I'm I'm in a men's group and I was coming out of the men's group one evening thinking how tender we all were with each other and how, how kind of kind we all were with the various crises and difficulties we were all going through. And I asked myself, you know, is this because we're opening to our feminine? And and, and I thought, no, it's not that we're kind of opening to our feminine. It's we're opening to, to our humanity. We're kind of learning how we can become more human. That's It's got nothing to do with gender. This is a real kind of bum steer you know that's a wrong steer on it it's not about gender after the men's yep. group i went to do a workshop uh on a, in a druid camp and i just shared my experience i said hey uh why why do we gender everything why are you know why is the earth feminine and f- you, you know f- f- fire masculine and why you know why are stars gendered uh, you know this is just crazy really it's got you know um, why are numbers gendered? You know, there's like, there's male and female numbers, you know, um, in, in esoteric science, you know, and then I recounted my experience in the men's group and it was, it was amazing in this, in the room, well, it wasn't a room. It was a kind of yurt with about 50 people sitting in it. There was this like incredible explosion of energy and somebody shouted out, thank God you've said this. I've been thinking this for like, yeah, yeah. And nobody, you know, I haven't heard this before, you know, he said, I was dancing. This was a guy. I was dancing in a five rhythms group and a woman came up to me and said, it's so nice to see you opening to your feminine. And he
1: said, I just thought I was dancing.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: You see what I mean? Uh, so moving into our last question, uh, this should be an easy one. What's next for Philip and where can people find your work? Okay, cool. Uh, well, I've just finished
3: literally last week, uh, work on a book called the gift of the night a six-step program to help you sleep better okay and it's it's talking it's taking it's taking an integrative approach it take it says look there's all this uh, evidence-based medicine around sleep which has been you know very successful very helpful let's take that and and what about the alternative approaches that don't have the evidence base? Because that, to get an evidence base is very expensive and and, and and time consuming, and it just hasn't been done. But plenty of people swear by yoga nidra, hypnosis, uh, you know, and so on, hip, hypno, you know, uh, w- let's put the two together. Let's take an integrative approach. And, you know, I, I trained in CBT for insomnia. So, so let's look at evidence-based stuff and alternative stuff. And let's see if we can mix and match, and make a nice combination. And secondly, what does psychedelic psychotherapy have to say about this? Because in in psychedelic therapy, you're essentially helping people transition from the ordinary state of consciousness to a very unusual state of consciousness and back again safely. And that's exactly what we want with sleep. We want to transition from the ordinary state to a very weird state, which is sleep, back again safely. So I I use that kind of lens metaphor to to, to work with uh, insomnia. So that's coming out in November, and now I've started work on a book called The Long Man and Friends about the local landscape,
1: dealing with giants and dragons and um, fairies and that sort of thing. Nice. I, think, I think we're both all going to be very interested in both those books. I'm yeah. going to be very interested in the first one because I will try anything to sleep through the night. <laughs> 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 all right. And where can people find your work? okay the advantage of having a weird name
3: is that there's there's only one person with this name so so it's it's uh if you just google philip with one l and then cargum c-a-double-r hyphen go you get my website which is philipcargum.com and um the, there are courses and books and videos and all sorts of stuff there
0: nice all right
1: well very very cool uh Thank you so, so much for giving us some of your time this evening. We had a great time. We know our listeners will. We hope you did as well. Thank you so much.
3: Well, thank you for inviting me. It was, it was fun. Yes,
0: thank you so much for coming on.
1: Our
3: pleasure. <laughs>